We're back for another week, CFB Paint. We've got Steve, Court, and Brian all on the pod today, and we're continuing our season previews with the SEC this week. Before we go into that, we're going to talk a little bit realignment, but make sure to follow us uh, on whatever podcasting network you're listening to. It's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're through on YouTube with us, make sure to subscribe, like, so other people can see the content that we're putting out there uh, as we get going into the season and especially throughout as the, the storylines begin to twist and turn, the wins and the losses start rolling. But before we dive into anything at all, we're going to address some of the conference realignment that has occurred and some of the rumors that are coming up uh, for what could potentially happen in the near future. Steve, why don't you take us just a little bit through that? Yeah. So um, for those, if you, if you follow it, this, some of this is not, none of this is late breaking news, but Washington, Oregon to the big 10, the remainder of the four corner schools off to the Big 12. So Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, all joining Colorado in the Big 12. Um, that took place uh, a little over a week or not quite a week ago, I should say. And now there's whispers that the ACC may try and pick up the scraps of the Pac-12, potentially looking at Stanford and Cal. I don't know if I buy it. Uh, you know, I saw, I heard something today where it's like, how can you have teams on the West Coast in the Atlantic Coast Conference? <laughs> like, uh, which just made me laugh. But uh, yeah, that's just the hilarity of the whole thing. Um, and for those of us, or for those of our listeners that follow us on Twitter, I'm the one that's kind of snarky about conference realignment and uh, not loving it for for the reasons of losing tradition and losing regional rivalries. I don't love that. But at the same time, I, I understand it, right? As a Florida State fan, I want out of the ACC. I want out so bad because it's an existential threat to them competing at the highest levels. I understand Washington, Oregon felt like they had to do the same thing. Uh, it's just kind of uh, not a great situation for anyone. So don't love it. Feel for specifically Washington State and Oregon State. Who knows what becomes of them and feel like they have proven even in the recent history to be able to compete on the field with some of these bigger schools uh, but their ability to do it just from a conference you know allegiance perspective is is now in, in jeopardy so that's what i don't like about it so i, I kind of see it both sides of it but that's that's part of me that's mourning it as far as the potential moves of either cal or stanford and, and recently it's been reported that SMU is now a potential suitor for the ACC to expand. Do any of those really make a, a, a substantial difference? I, I don't think. <laughs> I, I think that uh, if you've seen the movie Other People's Money, it's like, this company's dead. We're just not broke yet. And I feel like that's kind of what the ACC is. It's They're dead. We just haven't pronounced it dead yet. So um, we'll see what happens, but I, I don't imagine it's it's super long for this world, maybe another few years, maybe another five years. Who knows? Uh, and I think over those five years, it will probably change shape quite a bit. But that's kind of where we're at. I, I don't know if anyone else had any other comments on that. Yeah. Yeah, like the two teams I'm sad to see not being picked up, uh, Stanford. Stanford's like the number one collegiate university for like as far as athletics across the entire country because they offer the most opportunities. Like, they're the ones that offer, you know, water polo, et cetera. They, they have so many different opportunities. And they also, where they're based, you'd think they'd have the money to back a good team. I mean, you're right there with near Silicon Valley. You, you have them, the unicorns that could back you potentially. Um, so I'd like to see them get picked up solely because I think they can be competitive in this NIL space and in the future. Um, I, I understand that they don't have a large 
uh, pull from everybody outside outside of their region, like they don't draw the eyeballs. And that's partially why they're being left out at this right now. But for the sake of athletics in general, I hope that they go into a bigger conference and I hope they're able to sustain their athletic department because, I mean, Stanford single-handedly, you know, might be producing half of our Olympic athletes. And if our Olympic athletes aren't there, you know, across the board, like we might have an issue. The other team is, is SMU you mentioned. That's a team that's already proven that they can spend money and win and that they had the capacity to do it. I'm sure that they could do that now. And I'd like to see them do that. Um, I think they can put themselves on a national stage. I get it. There are a lot of teams in Texas. They don't, and they aren't the favorites in Texas, but they're, they have the money backing. And so seeing those two teams completely to give me those two teams, an opportunity to be competitive in this space is what I'd like to see. Um, and if you aren't in one of the bigger conferences, you're not going to be competitive. And that's partially why we're waiting for this downfall of the ACC. And in reality, like, I think that's the next domino to fall. I don't think it happens this year, um, considering they have to report in like six days. But I think that's the next domino. Once that starts to crack, then we're going to see it crumble like the Pac-12 did. It's just going to be really, really quick. And the Big 12 will be picking up a little few of the scraps, and then we're going to have a few teams like Cal, like Washington State, like Oregon State that are going to be on the outs. And it's going to be sad for Wake Forest and whatnot. We're naming names, apparently. Boston well, College. I, I'll drop you're on, names. you're on the block, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you have Wake Forest. I think Louisville's probably on there. I think oh, you have. No. You don't think so? No, Louisville will find a landing spot. Maybe, maybe in the Big 12. I don't think they're yeah. going to power conference. Um, but then you, you probably lose Duke. Or if the Big 12 is really focused on this making a basketball league, maybe they pick up Duke. And so As that, a basketball know. only member. Yeah, as a basketball. They, Similar to Notre they, Dame. They pull the Gonzaga. <laughs> there you uh-huh. go. Is, is that how Gonzaga's playing with the, the Big 12? That's the rumor. That's funny. We'll see if All it right. happens. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm interested to see how it goes in Crumbles, but I think we still have a little bit longer because, I mean, they're locked in. I think it drops, what, to 100, 100 million in two years or so? I think it drops, what, $10 million a year for the buyout? And still, that doesn't mean the grant rights goes away, but oof. Yeah, it's definitely a, a pricey thing to happen. But for teams like UNC, like Clemson, like Florida State, like Miami, who are going to want to compete long term in football, you're gonna, you know, find any way you can to to make that happen sooner than later. Um, I, for me, the one that's really sad to see is like, as far as who's competitive recently, Washington State and Oregon State have been more competitive recently than Cal and Stanford. But Cal and Stanford is sad for me to see go because. The band is on the field. It's one of the most famous games and calls of all time. And I can't imagine, you know, 18 years from now, I've got a two-year-old. He's 20, and he's never seen Cal or Stanford play a meaningful game. And so he sees a clip of this, and he's like, who cares that Cal and Stanford played some wild game with a kick or kick return to end while the band was on the field? I'll have to explain. No, these were these were elite programs, or at least power programs at the time. This is not, you know, you're not watching – I don't need to drag anybody's name through the mud right now, but you know, a lower tier group of top five team that was playing, you know, this, this is a game of importance. So um, that's just a crazy thing for me to imagine. And I hope it doesn't quite get to that place. I hope there's at least a little bit brighter future for Cal and Stanford than uh, the decline that looks very possible uh, coming up soon. Other than that, we're not going to dwell too much more on conference alignment. We know there are going to be lots of rumors on Twitter or on X, um, Lots of people will have all that inside information that will be unsubstantiated. And guess what? That's what's going to happen all throughout any offseason for college football. 
I think those same people have stock picks for you, Brian, if you want to just throw away some money and light it on fire. There you go. If you want to, you want to get rich quick and know exactly who's, who's going to be in whose conference next year, uh, just, just pay quick, close attention to those Twitter account, those X accounts. I'm never going to get that right. What do you call a tweet those, these days? Do they, have they come up with that yet? It's a post. They just call it a post now. And you repost. You don't retweet. That's criminal. I want to call them like zounce, like put X <laughs> in front of account. All right. Anyway, we we're workshopping there, it still. There, Let's move there, on. There's good reasons we're not uh, higher ups at X at the moment. But we'll, we'll get into the SEC preview. And, Corey, I'm going to put you on the spot to, to kick us off. We'll start off on the east. So we'll go division by division before we name our champions as well as our offensive, defensive players of the year and coach of the year. But starting off in the East, and count us up from 7-1, to one, Corey. Who do you have in the East coming out of the SEC? So starting at 7, I have uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, they got a lucky win last year against Florida, but I don't see too many more, too many of those this year, next year. Um, in sixth position, I have Missouri. Um, three, four, and five is where I struggled a little bit. I went to like, I went to look at their, uh, their basically the crossovers to the West and see who has the easier crossovers because you got to play everybody on the East. Who has the easier crossovers? So, but in three, four, and five, um, I have South Carolina at three. I have Florida at four, and Kentucky at five. Kentucky plays. Um, their crossovers, let me see, are Alabama and Mississippi State. That's not like that's an automatic loss, and then at Mississippi State, a little bit harder, um, in my opinion. Florida, you, your crossovers are Arkansas at home, and then you play at LSU. Okay, one loss for sure, one you might be able to win. We'll see how KJ Jefferson is, uh, or KJ Jefferson's replacement, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's KJ. He's back. Huh? He's back. He's back. He's back. Okay. I'm like, why did my head go there? All right, and then with South Carolina, I'm, I kind of like this Beamer ball. I think they can keep it rolling. I'm kind of excited to see. And they also have an easier schedule. I mean, they play tech, at Texas A&M. We'll see how they do. Um, I expect a better Texas A&M than in the previous years, but I still think it's a winnable game. It's not playing Alabama or Georgia. Or, sorry, Alabama or uh, LSU. And then uh, they also play – let me see – Mississippi State. So they have the most winnable games across from the West. Um, and that's why I position them in the way that they are, because those re- West records will still affect the division. At number two, I have Tennessee. I think they don't take as much of a step back as may people, may, people may expect. I think they're going to be pretty darn competitive. I expect him, Josh Heupel to do a good job with the tools that he has. I, he's, I think he's proven himself as a coach at UCF and now at Tennessee that he can coach with the quality players that he has no matter what. He finds ways to get people open and, and it will score on you, even if your defense is Alabama's defense. Um, at number one, just the sure lack of, or sure amount of talent that, that they've recruited over the last four or five years, you can't, you can't compete with it, in my opinion. It's Georgia. I heard someone say, like, Georgia's backups could probably win the East. And, like, honestly, that's probably right. Um, <laughs> like they probably could still make the playoff in reality. Like, um, we don't know how great they are, but like, honestly, I think it's, they have a cakewalk of a schedule and I'm, yeah, I don't have anybody beating Georgia this year. Nice. Corey, just to repeat that, just to make sure I got the, the order right it, from seven to one, it's Vanderbilt, Missouri, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, and then Georgia. No, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Kentucky, then Florida. Oh, then South Carolina, then Tennessee, I then Georgia. Thought I might have some. That Florida team, I think, I think a little people like people are sleeping on that Florida team. To be honest, um, I think Napier is a good coach. I think that they struggled a little bit with the dynamics last year. 
with the fact that like their quarterback was so incredible, but then you could get so off. Like he wasn't consistent at all. And I think with this, with this new quarterback, you have the transfer from Wisconsin. Um, wow. Why is the name? Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz. Yeah. Graham Mertz. Um, you're not going to have the, he's not going to be the one that beats you, but you're not going to have a little bit more consistency at quarterback. And I understand that. I know that they have to, a few people to replace on the offensive line, but they got a trio of running backs there that they can just pound the ball with. If they can like, who cares if you can't, if they can't block them, they just keep sending them at you. I expect that's where they be, they'll be a little bit stronger. And I think this team does better than people, people expect them. I think they, they're sitting at what, five and a half per Vegas. I think this team wins seven may push eight, which kind of makes me sad as a Florida state fan, but I think that's probably where they go. And I think it's good enough to hold the class together, which is also even more sad. <laughs> All right, Steve, why don't you give us your. Know, yeah, sorry. For sorry. those who don't know, their quarter, their class right now is number three in the nation. They had an incredible June. So. Yeah, Napier's recruiting with incredible uh, ability for a team that performed the way they did last year in the fall. There's a lot of reasons that you can chalk up to recruits why we didn't perform quite how we thought we would. But regardless what they are, top three class at the moment is formidable. And, and it, to me, looks like has decent staying power of isn't going to drop real low. Like I think they've got real, real quality guys in and good ones on the board still. Steve, why don't you take us through your seven through one? Yeah, let's go through it. Um, you're going to hear some familiar names here. Well, obviously they're going to be familiar, but also in familiar spots. Uh, Vanderbilt. I have is finishing at the seventh spot in the SEC East. Still a couple years out, I think, of building there. Uh, Mizzou, I have at six. Uh, here's where we differ. Five, I've got South Carolina. I They lost so much in that transfer portal, and I don't feel like they really replaced it. Um, but I think they're doing a decent job recruiting, but that to me is, again – that's not usually a, a, an immediate fix to some of the gaps that I see on that team. So uh, we'll see. You're right. They do have a little bit more favorable of a schedule, but another thing, I'm just not a big believer in Spencer Rattler. I, I see some of the passes that people kind of go gaga over because he's, he's, he does it. I also see him throw a lot of interceptions. Like he throws the ball to the other team a lot. Um, and that to me is a problem at quarterback. Like, you can't throw the ball to the other team. That's like rule number one. So, and, and I don't think they've got the offensive line to protect him. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It could be an interesting year in Columbia for, for the Gamecocks. At the fourth spot in the division, I have the Florida Gators. Similar philosophy that to Corey. Just really, I looked at their schedule like they're going to run the football. Who can? Who do I think they can run the football on? went through it and felt like, okay, there's a handful of these. And I think they got about uh, four SEC wins because I think they can run the ball against Kentucky. I think they can run it on Vanderbilt. I think they can run it on South Carolina. I think they can run it on Missouri, potentially Arkansas. So if you wanted to sneak in a fifth SEC win there, but against Georgia at LSU, Home against Tennessee, maybe to a degree, but I trust Tennessee's offense to kind of offset that. That's that's kind of where I land with them. They've got awesome, awesome running backs. I might take their running back room over any running back room in the country. I'm saying that kind of off the cuff, but the more I think about it, I'm like, nothing jumps out at me. It's like, oh, I definitely want these running backs more. Um, so 
Michigan they, is the got, one that sticks out to me, but potentially, potentially, it's that, that, that's, right, that's a fair one. But they're even still that, really I, good. Like <laughs> even then, I'm not sure I want them over Florida's. I really that okay. ETN that guy is a dude. He's special. Um, he's so good. And then Montrell Johnson also like they're just they've got two really really good backs. Um, so it, where they're where they're successful, I think Florida is successful. And the times where you are facing a defensive front seven that can slow down the run, I think Florida will struggle to put up points. So that's that's kind of my philosophy. That's where I have them at four. Uh, for the remainder of it, I have Kentucky at the three spot. Again, I'm right there with you, Corey. Where it's like those those middle three, I feel like could kind of be any one of those different permutations is, is possible and plausible. I could believe it. I just think Kentucky's got, again, a, a strong enough defense and the, with, uh, sorry, with the offensive coordinator returning Liam Cohen, returning to Kentucky, Devin Leary at QB, I think might even be an upgrade from, uh, oh goodness. What's his Will name? Levis. Will Levis. Thank yeah. you. Uh, so Second we'll see. Willie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so we'll see. But I, I think right now I feel a little bit more confident in Kentucky. Plus they play Florida at home early in the season. Tennessee the same as Corey. Lots of the same reasons. And, and then Georgia. I mean that's kind of a no brainer pick at this point. Yeah, I uh, I have the same musical chairs in the middle of this division as, as the two of you do uh, at the bottom. We've got the same stuff. We've got Vanderbilt and Missouri. Um, I think Missouri losing love it, who I think is a really, really good player is a big loss for them this season coming up. And there's just a little bit of, I'd say gap between them and, and the next three. I do have Florida in at number five. I just think Napier is a good offensive coach. And I think he doesn't have the tools to do elite stuff. So you've got Graham Mertz, who I think, Limits you in some ways. A, a great call of uh, Corey talking about more consistency there because he has a ton of starts under his belt, uh, a lot of experience at the FBS level, but kind of lacks any game-breaking tools, uh, in my opinion, and his line is going to be worse than the year before. So I think there's trouble there. It'll become more obvious that those running backs are coming at you, and I think they're really, really good, but I think it's just going to be tough to outscore teams, and I think at times they will need that. Um, in the in the schedule, I've got at number four South Carolina. Uh, Spencer Rattler, I to me he feels like Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay, where Stephen talked about it, interceptions. <laughs> you know, I think he can make some incredible throws. I think he has a heck of an arm, but like I think he sees every window and goes, "I can fit that." Um, so there's some danger in it. Um, I really do like what Beamer's doing there, and I think with the transfers out. I think now they'll all be rowing in the same direction. So talent downgrade, which is important to note, but also unity upgrade, or or I don't know how to how to quite say that, culture upgrade potentially. And not that the culture was bad or that anybody who transferred out were bad kids, but you want people who are feeling very much in this together, who are wanting to be here with this coach and with this team, uh, rowing together in the same direction. So I think that could cancel out a little bit. Also, I think Juice Wells is just phenomenal. Um, and really came into his own at the end of the season when they're starting to upset everyone. So a full season of, of that juice wells could be pretty extraordinary. Um, Kentucky, very similar thoughts for you, Steve, with Liam Cohen coming back. Defense should be 
as, as fierce as it often is under Mark Stoops. And I'm also a Devin Leary believer, provided he can stay healthy, which he wasn't able to last season. But I think as far as a college quarterback goes, he's an extremely good college quarterback. And okay. that, that may be a, a step up uh, indeed, if, if not with the same arm talent or arm power. Most of them talking arm power and, and ability to throw the ball way down the field as Will Levis. Number two, I've got Tennessee. They should have a little bit of a step back this year, in my opinion. Squirrel White and Brew McCoy will need to step up big time to fill the shoes of Hyatt and Tillman. I think Milton will do a good job. I, I've got probably an unreasonable amount of faith in the job that Milton's going to do there. But if he doesn't, they also have uh, a phenomenal freshman waiting in the wings who is just going to be chomping at the bit for his opportunity. So I think there's some distance between them and the ones beneath, but there's also a good bit of distance between them and Georgia above. And I think Georgia is going to be as ferocious as ever this next year. We'll see how the quarterback battle plays out, but he's got a lot of weapons he can use. Brock Bowers, one of the best offensive players in all of college football, a very, very unique tool at their disposal. Lab McConkey's back. You bring in Lovett from Missouri, who I think is going to be the big, they brought in uh, him and Ra Ra Thomas to, to bolster the wide receivers. But I think Lovett's going to be the one who makes a big impact there. And then, Michael Williams, Malachi Starks, uh, Dumas Thomas. Is it Dumas Thomas? Is that the name? Dumas Johnson um, for at, at linebacker. I, I just think they're going to reload on the defensive end, have what they need there, and then have just enough of the firepower to when you face an Ohio State like they did in the playoffs, you're still able to score the, the 40 or so you need to get over the hump. So Georgia topping off the East. I'm curious. I, I, we have like some differing perceptions of florida corey's got a, a kind of a bullish take on them i think mine's pretty in line with the the win totals I, like five and a half i think is a pretty appropriate line and i have a real hard time deciding between five or six what do you make of what this year needs to be in year two for napier and for the gators i think honestly so the talk uh, the honestly honestly i think you should mention that they don't have weapons right they got pearsall um that's playing wide receiver. They, they have the duo of running backs, but they've also talked about there's word out of camp that their backups and, and some of the wide receivers are, are actually pretty good. And they're talking word about talking about moving Purcell out of the slot to the, to the outside to open up mm. um, opportunities for players. Um, I think one of the names they've dropped is freshman Andy Jean um, as well. Like I'm excited to see some of the playmakers that they've got. And if their talent was that not, was not as good as everybody thought it was, it should have been. We might get to see some of these playmakers early on. And with Mertz, I think you just have to have enough arm talent to keep the defense honest so that you can run, you know, on seven on seven and keep the four guys out of the box, um, essentially. Um, keep those safeties out and those corners out. That's the reason I think we'll see some some improvement. I think there's a reason that he was hired as a recruiter or hired as a coach. It wasn't solely because he's a good recruiter. He's a great mental mastermind as well. There was a reason he was successful at Alabama and when he went to um, Louisiana. Um, so I expect this turnaround to happen. I like I said, I I think you win seven or eight games, you hold your class together. You go, you you lose five, or you only win five, and you don't make a bowl game. We start might start to see some fractions, a little bit there. I know that's the media's perception, but I don't. I can't imagine that they four fans would actually think that their team's going to lose only win five and a half games, like or five games. If you don't go to a bowl, I think you're very very frustrated with this. Yeah, I'm right there, Brian. I don't know if you realize 
Corey and I have them finishing in the same position in the SEC. Uh, oh, I was thinking and I Corey think had they win third. Okay, go ahead. Uh, um, but I, I've got yeah. I mean, as far as five and a half wins, to me that I think is an easy over. Um, is you've got McNeese, Charlotte, Sh- Charlotte, uh, home against Vanderbilt, and at Missouri is all games that I expect you to win. Like just I. I feel like you could kind of bank those as, as, as likely wins. And then a couple of coin flips against Arkansas, at Kentucky, at South Carolina, and, and potentially even hosting the Seminoles, where you played them close last year, and and now you get them at home? All right. Like, that to me is a, now a toss-up game, and I need just one of them? Yeah. That's like, or I need two. Did I say, I need two, I guess. But I need two of those, what, four? I think that they'll do that. 100% losing to Utah this year? No. No, we didn't even talk about that game. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't – the word on the street is that who knows if Cam Rising is even going to play in that game. So yeah, that's hurt. That's not – but I, I, the reason I, I would put that one probably less as a coin flip, just like look at the splits between Utah playing at home and Utah playing on the road, and they are killers at home. So, uh, so, so I, I lean toward the Utes there, but – so uh, uh, Heather and I, my wife Heather and I, were listening to a podcast um, of a UF writer talking about how excited he was to go watch, to go to this Utah game. And he's like, I, hopefully I'll see snow, you know, by the end of the month. And I go, he has no idea, Heather, what's going on in this place. It doesn't snow here in August. It snows here in October. Maybe the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was just kind of yeah. funny, like, how much he didn't have a clue what he was getting into. <laughs> Yes, it'll be about ninety degrees and dry. Yes. Yeah, exactly. it won't, won't be what you've been dealing with in Florida, but it'll be hot. <laughs> I've got two different things I want to bring up. Um, yeah, both of you guys kind of clowned a little bit on Spencer Rattler. He had twelve interceptions last year, and five of them were in the first three games. That means he only had seven in the last ten games of last year. So he kind of cleaned that up. Um, and I'm I'm hoping we'll see that trend a little more. He did have two interceptions against what, like a South Carolina State, and then two against Clemson. Steven doesn't believe me now. He's going to look it up. Anyway, <laughs> no, I believe you. Uh, He's going. Uh, I think it's two against South Carolina State. You're, you're, you're going for the win. You're trying to rub numbers in. You're, you're going to try and push the ball in, into places you probably shouldn't. Um, also, you think the talent isn't that good. Um, so maybe that's one. But then you also play Clemson. Clemson's a great team, and you end up with a win with that one game, and it, even though you had two interceptions. So I, I'm interested to see if he can continue to clean that up. If he can, uh, he kind of seems like. He seems a little bit like um, second half Jameis Winston, if you want to go there, Brian, from 2014, where Jameis Winston would throw all these interceptions, cause problems in 2014, and then like Jimbo Fisher would just like throw the damn ball to the people that are open. Stop trying to make all the good plays. And it kind of seems like that's what Beamer's kind of done. Was he's like, stop trying to force it, just take what's open, and we'll win the game. And we saw that kind of the little second half of last year. I expect a little bit more of that. Um, I expect a little bit of growth, unlike you guys. So um, that's my first little qualm with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, um, I, if I can quickly respond, I, I don't have a – he throws throws that scare me on a very regular basis. So okay. it, it's not numerically he throws infinity interceptions, but he – and part of it might, might be calculated risk. Uh, Pat Mahomes has talked about like, hey, how come at, at some points at Texas Tech did you not have – uh, better numbers, or did you throw interceptions here or there? He's like, well, I knew we had, like, I had to take some extra risks in order to 
to win. Like if, if we were going to beat the teams that were playing, they were more talented than us. Some of those things were, were kind of a risk you had to take. So I, in fair, I think that's a good defense of, of Spencer Rattler. It still doesn't give me faith when he lets go of the ball, but uh, I understand that there's a bigger scope of what's going on with him. So anyhow. Also for a college quarterback, his completion percentage over the last little bit was pretty darn high. If you look over the last 10 games, his completion percentage, the lowest he had, again, he had a poor game against A&M at 48%. Um, but then the lowest after that is a 64% against Clemson where you went 25 or 39, but he had, he posted wow. 69, 69, 66, 73, 77, 64, 63. Like it's, it's up there. That's I impressive. Mean, a good college quarterback is not normally that high. You probably what low sixties, but still I, we'll see if, yeah. if that mental changes happen. The other thing I was nice. going to talk to you guys about was the Florida thing. I think I already talked about it enough. Um, yeah, I, I think I do. I do uh, though wonder if they can utilize Pearsall as well as they should, because one of the reasons they could do, use him as well as they did last year was because Richardson could take the, his arm, could, he could take the arm or the top off the defense with his arm. I don't know if Mertz has the ability to do that. Pearsall has the speed to do that, but does Mertz have the arm to kind of capitalize on that? So that's just something I'm a little like, Hmm, I'm interested to see how that is. So. Yeah. And that, that would be an interesting factor because I think Napier does a really good job of pulling teams from side to side. Um, you know, having somebody come in motion and, and faking it with them or going with them and making teams play linearly. And then now I've brought the safeties close enough down to come help help with that on either side. And now I can take it over the top. I, I think he, he play called really well throughout many portions of last season. Not, not everything, but that will be, you're right. That's a factor to see if they can do that, then we're, we're giving room for these backs to do stuff and to, you know, reach the potential that they have as an offense. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it and I'm not rooting against it or rooting for it in any way. Just uh, not, not believing it as of yet. So um, we'll see that. <laughs> yeah, for, fair. Yeah. Um, it's, you got time to see it. And when you do, yep. you'll, you'll come around uh, exactly. with that. We'll, we'll leave the East. We'll go over to the West. Um, so Corey, we're going to go right back to you and kick us off with the West and then Steve and I can follow up, but take us seven to one. How you see it okay, playing out? This is a lot harder for me. This conference was, um, yes. at number seven, I have Mississippi state. Mike Leach is no longer the coach there. Uh, they decided to replace him with, um, defensive coordinator. What was his name? I had it. Zach Arnett. Frank. Zach yeah. Arnett. Yeah. Yeah. Who I went through his, his pro his profile and stuff like that. He interviewed with a bunch of different teams before he became the defensive coordinator for, for Mississippi State, like LSU, there, there's some higher end teams, and ended up staying at LSU. I don't know if that's entirely was his decision or you know, mutual. Like if they ever even offered him the job, I'm just interested to see where that goes. Like you, it seems like they kept a lot of people from the staff. I didn't feel like that's they were particularly threatening. Um, so I'm interested to see where they go, but I don't have them ranked high. Um, at number six, I have Auburn with Hugh Freeze. I think this team lacks the talent that the other teams do within this group a little bit. I think if you say who's the least talented team, I might say it might be Auburn. Um, but I think it's going to have one of the better coaches as far as scheming goes. Q freeze. I, I, I believe I'm a believer in. So I think this is a, just give it time. Like they're going to have some freak athletes that'll, that'll play like freshmen that'll play this year. Um, but this is just give it time. 
and honestly, I could see them going anywhere from fourth to sixth. Um, at fifth, I have Ole Miss. Um, mostly, this is because again, looking at their across their across the uh, rivals, they have to play Georgia. They have to play Texas A&M. Um, I expect Texas A&M to be a, a pretty good team, so that's gonna be a hard win. And you're you at least you have at home, but then Georgia, you're gonna lose that one. Um, so that's why I have Ole Miss ranked a little bit lower. At number four, I have Arkansas. Um, Arkansas, let's see, they play across, they play at Florida, which we kind of already talked about as a 50-50 chance win. And then they play, oh, who is it? At, Al, Al, at Alabama? No. At Florida and at, I lost it. Um, I can find it for you. Darn it. Missouri, they get them Thank at you. home. Yeah, Missouri. Too. Um, so yeah, I mean, you got a chance to win that pretty easily, in my opinion. Um, I think I quoted Arkansas as being across the board from, from Auburn. That's a wrong, that's the wrong answer too. It would have been, oh, well, it would have been who? It would have been, uh, not LSU. I don't even know. I can't tell it off, off the top of my head. Um, but anyways, um, great podcasting guys, right? No worries, I have uh, Texas A&M at third. It sounds like we actually heard from Bobby Petrino that he's going to be calling the plays. He said that in, in an interview last week, that he's calling the plays. Although he did say, well, the plays are pretty much picked out, you know, during during the, the week. We practice those plays, and then I pick from those certain plays. So maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know. Um, I just expect Texas A&M to be a lot better. You have the talent on that team that you should be good. Um, it's just a matter of putting it all together and whether they can fix the cultural issues that were kind of within the team stemming from the head coach. We know about that firsthand, being Florida State fans. What could stem from Jimbo Fisher? There's quite a stink that can go there. Um, in number two, I think I'm probably different from you guys. I think LSU is number two. Um, I think people expect this team to be much better than last year. I think it's going to be about the same, um, maybe a tinge better. Like They're not going to have as many close games as they had last year, but I do not expect them to beat Alabama. I think Alabama went went way heavy with Bryce um, last year, and I um, and way heavy on the pass. And I expect them just to lean on their offensive line and to run the ball and to run the ball and to run the ball this year. I, I think t- the pickup of Tommy Reese as an OC is going to be exciting. I think he's going to be good. He's going to give you enough options passing wise to open up the holes. But you have you have by far recruited the best you know offensive line offensive line wise and running backs-wise within this division, you need to lean on that. And if you lean on that, you're going to be very, very hard to beat. We may see the Alabama of old, where it's like, we're scoring, you know, 21, 28 points on you because we're just punching you in the mouth over and over and over, and they open up on the at the end of the year. Um, and honestly, LSU and Bama, I mean, it was a close game last year. People just keep talking like LSU was so much better than Bama. They were a two-point conversion better than Bama, essentially. So that's my picks. All right. All right. Um, I'm going to go right. That's me. Yeah, next. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. It's a, a little bit of some differences. Uh, so we start off the same though. Mississippi state. I, I, I wonder if uh, goodness, is it Will Rogers? Their QB. Okay. I, I wonder how he'll perform in a, a more traditional offense. So that's one area of concern for me. Um, and it's just an, an unknown as a 
new first-time head coach, uh, Zach Arnett. So I, I've got some questions there. So that's where I have him finishing last in the division. I've got Auburn second, or second to last, I should say, at, at the, the sixth spot in the division. Again, like Corey, yeah, just repeat everything he said with the talents and gaps in the roster. They've done some things in the transfer portal. Can you bring it all together in one season? I don't think so, but but again, Hugh Freeze is, has shocked the world before, and so it wouldn't stun me if he uh, if he wins a few that I'm not expecting him to win. After that, I've got Arkansas again. I, I think we kind of know what Arkansas is at this point. They're going to run the football. They're going to be physical. They're going to play pretty pretty good defense on the like up front. The secondary is always a bit of a question, so we'll, we'll see what happens there if they're able to fix some things. I know that they're new. Secondary coach was was shown the door at Florida State, so maybe it's a change of scenery that helps him too. I, I don't know. We'll see. After that, I have Texas A and M at the fourth spot in the division. I wonder how the marriage is going to go. Again, this is one where you're right. If it all falls together and and everything works perfectly, they could challenge and and, and potentially win the division or the conference. I also, you talked about it one quote, Corey, where you basically said he said he's calling plays. I also heard, read another one of his quotes where he says, my job is to make Jimbo Fisher happy, you know, and that to me is a red flag. Like, of course you want to make him happy, but like him being happy is him calling the plays and the offense looking like he wants it to look. So I, I don't know. It just, I didn't hear a whole lot of backbone out of Bobby Petrino in that interview. And that to me is one of those things that always makes you nervous listening to, to a, a coach that's a seasoned veteran in his own right has coordinated and, and orchestrated a, a bunch of really strong offensive attacks. And it doesn't sound like he's like, yeah, I, you know, I, my job's to coordinate the offense. You know, we all work together as a staff, but ultimately that responsibility lies with me. Like, how hard would would that have been to say if it was the truth? And maybe it's not the truth. So, I think it's a valid point. I mean, he is working for one of the most hard headed men in in the college football. Yeah. So that's 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 where it's like again, it, it, there's all kinds of volatility into what Texas A and M could do. Uh, I think we've been quotes, over that a bit. Did you hear about Jimbo Fisher's quote about how all these conferences are chasing a dollar? And then everybody yeah. retweets about the fact that he left Florida State for a ninety million dollar contract. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I I just like the the number of times he uses unfortunately when it's really not unfortunate. It's just like oh, this is reality. Like he used that when their his public spat with Nick Saban. He's like, unfortunately, our stuff played out in the media. It's like you called a press conference. Actually, you brought the media and then ranted <laughs> in front of them. And this one's like, unfortunately, everyone's following the money. Well, it's like, well, everyone's always followed the money. Like, uh, that, that never has that not been the case. Um, but anyway, move, moving on from a and I've got Ole Miss here at third. I really like Quinshawn Judkins. I, I, everything that I'm hearing um, and, and, and reading about says that Jackson Dart is taking the competition for quarterback pretty seriously. He's always had the potential. And so it seems like he's going to be doing well. You got to see some improvement defensively. Like I, I, the change in coordinators, I think might help with that. Um, I, I 
I, I know that there are people that were not sad to see, gosh, I'm forgetting his name right now, the Bama defensive coordinator that was shown the door, um, or at least encouraged to leave, was at UTSA before that. I'm looking him dead in the face in my head. Can't remember his name right now to save my life, but he's not a bad defensive mind. And I think he'll get more out of the same talent that exists on the Ole Miss roster. So, any help, Brian? No, I'm Nothing. trying to pull it up while I'm getting his Pete Golding, but Pete it's not Golding. Him. Thank you. That's him. Oh, That's oh him. I thought you were talking yeah. who, who's the previous DC. Sorry, I knew it was Pete no, Golding. Well, who's the next year? Yeah. Oh, so the the previous one was Chris Partridge. Okay. Um, check that one, but I'm I'm pretty confident that's who it was. Uh, but yeah, Pete Golding is the, the new defensive coordinator. Again, didn't necessarily shake out at Alabama, but they also weren't horrific defensively either. So I I think that there's a chance for them to surprise some people in that division. And so that's who I'm going with in the third spot. Uh, and then the the two where where the division, in my opinion, really boils down to. I have Bama in second and LSU in first. Um, I think really this boils down to not even just their game, but I, I think Bama just kind of has a, a, a bit of a tougher road. If you kind of look at here, well, look yeah, at they play Bama's Tennessee schedule. So yeah, they, they play Tennessee. They do get most of their tough games at home, right? They get Tennessee LSU. Um, I guess they do play at, at Jordan Hare uh, on the road at, Auburn, but I, I don't know if Auburn's ready to challenge the Tide. Uh, they are on the road at Texas A&M, which to me is, is is potential pitfall. When I look at LSU, I think they are a lot better than they were last year. The one place that I would say is a potential weakness is the secondary because it's brand new. They, they've had to revamp their secondary two years in a row, and I don't know how often you'll be able to just kind of build the plane while it's in the air, uh, to, to use a, a metaphor that's often used in business. But I don't know how that will work with the secondary, but they have, you know, they got an opportunity to kind of get that sorted early in the schedule with a lot of teams that I don't think will challenge them through the air with the exception of Florida State in the opener. But Grambling State at Mississippi State, who's not running an air raid system anymore, home against Arkansas, and then at Ole Miss is your real first test. Like, I think that that's one where you could see them do, uh, see them tested in the secondary, but even then, if they're able to ride Quinjon Judkins, that's what Ole Miss would do. Now, I I don't think they will be able to do that, but I, I just I I think LSU is the more complete team. I've got playmakers basically at every single level, and and, and the defensive secondary just to me has to gel. It, I think there are fine players there in that secondary. I think it's just can they play together as a unit, and so they they have some time. I think outside of a non-conference game to get it sorted before they really get into the teeth of their conference schedule. So give me the and, Tigers to win. Last and they have like, they have the production we've seen from, you know, Harold Perkins has come was, he was nobody at the beginning of last year and kind of came on at the end of last season. And then you have Mason Smith who was hurt in the first game and missed this season. So like you have two quality, quality players that kind of are going to rise to the level. I'll bring us back down to the bottom, take us back to the top on the West. Mississippi State, I'm in agreement with the two of you. I think the SEC is a hard place to have a first-time head coaching job, uh, to, to run a program, to have everything in order. Just just going to be tricky for Zach Arnett in year one. Um, I like him in the job that he does, so wouldn't mind seeing him succeed, but I don't see any immediate profound success for the Bulldogs. At number six, I have Auburn. 
and this is a short-term thing. I think long-term Q freeze is already doing things in the, in the recruiting world. He brought in three new offensive linemen to help shore up that O-line. He brings in Peyton Thorne from Michigan state who I, I get skeptical of non dual threat quarterbacks in the sec. You don't see a ton of them that can't move. And when I say can't move, I think he rushed for double digit yards last year. Like, really doesn't move um so like you know like i joe milton is one who i wouldn't consider a dual threat and i think might have the arm talent to get away with some of it but he's a better athlete still than peyton thorne uh when needed that that said i think long-term trajectory auburn should be feeling okay just be patient for a year and i think you might have to take your lumps i've Ole Miss at number five um i have a hard time believing what comes out of fall camp reports as far as how good players are, or especially with improvement. Um, and so that's, that's, I'm not saying Jackson Dart's going to be bad. Cause I don't think it was bad last year. I just think there was a reason that you brought in Spencer Sanders and it doesn't bode well that you didn't find a new QB uh, to, to take over for your program. Pete Golden, we'll see if he can make some improvement there. Quinshawn Judkins is an absolute stud and, and one of the best backs in the country. I just, last year I, the whole season was going, Ole Miss is a little bit fraudulent here. They they had seven in a record to start, and they were a top 10 team. And I say they haven't played anyone. And they, sure enough, they go 1-5 down the back end stretch of the season. And I just don't see any reason to believe that they'll win any of those tougher games or that they'll be really toss-ups in those tougher games. I think they're going to lose just about all of them. And they face LSU and Alabama earlier in the season. So possibilities for things not derailing way off the rails, but not being as smooth to begin as they were last year. At number and four, I've got Arkansas. Yeah, sneaky, sneaky game um, at the beginning yeah. that could, at the very least, could shake your confidence a little if if not sneak up and, and get you a loss real quick. Number four, I've got Arkansas. Um, I just think KJ Jefferson, Rocket Sanders, uh, KJ will need to stay healthy for this team, but I think they they have a, a physicality to them that's going to bode well through the course of the season. Uh, I think there's a little bit more we can rely on with KJ Jefferson than the other quarterbacks uh, of the teams that are beneath them in this division that I have beneath them in this division um, and some boom potential for him to, to be really good. Uh, and one of the better players in the conference. We'll see that the, the tools are there, um, but there, there's so many factors that go into a quarterback season overall um, and protection is, is surely one of those. So Arkansas at number four, I have number three, Texas A&M. I think it helps a lot that you know who your quarterback is. Last year, was you weren't really sure, and then you had to test out a few, and I think Wegman is pretty notably the guy now. Moose Muhammad had really good parts of last season, and he's one of the best targets in, in the SEC. So I think with the known at quarterback coming in, and it's going to be interesting, this, this Petrino, uh, Jimbo thing. Cause I, I wasn't as thrown off by Petrino when he was like, Jimbo's the boss. Like, I... I'm a, I've been a head coach. I know what it's like to be a head coach. And, you know, we got me and Steve and DJ. We know what that's like. And so we know what Jimbo expects. And we know how to work with somebody who is the head coach. And so part of me was a little encouraged by that. But then the other part of me thought about uh, Walt Bell under Willie Taggart going, I, you know, I'm, I'm a good soldier. Like, I know how to play my role, that sort of thing. When talking about, are you going to call any plays or do anything? So, so it's like comes on both sides where I... You're right. He does like, or he's right. He he absolutely knows 
what he would expect from his offensive coordinator, what he would expect for players or sorry, coaches who coach underneath him. And so he should understand exactly how to play that role for Jimbo Fisher. But also I can't imagine being that elite at what I do. And at any point having uh, my wings clipped or my ability to make decisions doubted or undermined by somebody else who feels they have the, the same level or if not more expertise than you. So I'm really intrigued by real, it, but I still quick. think – go ahead. Over, under, this Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher last over, under, over or under a year. Can I give a push? I think they'll make it through the season, but no longer. <laughs> okay, that's what I, I'm, then I've set a good line if you want to push it. Yeah, say? I'd say if I, if I had to choose one, I'd go under for the bowl game. Say Petrino leaves before the bowl game. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm right there because if, if either it works well and he's off to his next thing because Bobby Petrino is a guy, you know, football is, as a profession is pretty transient. But I feel like Bobby Petrino is, is an outlier even among even among those where it's just like he has no problem up and leaving. Uh, sometimes just leaving a note in the locker room when he was leaving the Atlanta Falcons. Um, but I, I just think. Yeah, either it works well and he leaves, or it works poorly and he also is out. So uh, that, that's where I, I land on that. Sorry, go ahead, Bryce. Wrap no, all good. I, a great question, and you know we'll get our answer soon enough. We we talked about coaches who we think will be fired potentially early in the season. I think if things are going well at Texas A and M, that could be somebody who you look to and say, "Hey, he's got loads of experience. He's done this a lot of times. If he can keep himself in check, then." it you know be nice to get get that type of talent and pedigree at our program um at number two brian diplomatic (laughs) keep going doing what i can here at number two i've got the alabama crimson tide i think this is another one where you're concerned about the quarterback position And, and Corey, i think you're absolutely right you've got to lean heavy on the run but it's not good news that you brought in tanner buckner so late in the in the the cycle because I bet if you want him earlier, you probably could have got him earlier. And so to me, it says, hey, we were not impressed with what we were seeing from Simpson and from Milrow. And this is coming from, again, Tommy Reese, who was with Buckner at Notre Dame and decided, I'm going to go get somebody better than you and brought in Sam Hartman. So (laughs) I don't think that bodes particularly well for the quarterback position. I don't think any of these guys are total bums, but they they are looking for elite play at Alabama. And I don't think they're going to get that at quarterback this year. They I think Dallas Turner's maybe going to be one, maybe going to be the best defender in the country. I think he's unbelievable, um, and I've said that about a lot of people. I said about Harold Perkins all the time, uh, but it's he's up there. You know, he's in that conversation for sure. And I think this defense should be pretty salty. But I do have LSU at number one, and the big reason I have LSU at number one is I feel like they know who their guys are now going into this next season. Uh, Malik Neighbors had an awesome season last year, but if you look at his overall yardage, it's heavily backweighted at the end of the season where they realize, oh, we should maybe stop throwing to Kayshawn Booty quite as much as we do and start looking for Malik Neighbors a lot more, seeing what he can do um, because he was torching teams at the end of the season. You had Harold Perkins who took a few games for him to get reps in, and that's to be expected of a true freshman. Like Most of those aren't going to start day one or, or get significant snaps day one, but they know season number two, he's going to start off from the very beginning of the season. That's That's their guy. Mason Taylor's got another season underneath him as a tight end. Uh, and he, he kind of came into his own, had some big moments uh, 
in the Florida State game, in the Alabama game, but now will be a, a key component of that offense. Um, but I think with the defense, the the big thing is having Mason Taylor back and Makai Wingo, one of the best interior pairings, probably the best interior pairing that I can think of in the country. They should be very, very good, and that will improve things quite a lot, especially when you have Spates and uh, you know Perkins behind them, uh, bring in extra pressure. You'll, you'll miss Ojolari, you'll miss Gay, but I think it's just solidified in year number two where – now we know who our guys are. I think most of your biggest contributors are all back, um, in, in my estimation. I think the, the biggest one that you're losing is Ojolari, um, unless I'm missing somebody big, which you can holler out at me. But you also have Daniels and, and Nussmeyer, so you also have depth at that quarterback position where I think you could get injured and still win the West. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm going LSU. I, I think this will be close. I I really had a hard time choosing between these two, but ultimately I think, Hey, if LSU can get off to the start that they they should be able to now, that they know and understand their team much better on, in year two under Brian Kelly, um, with the continuity that they now have, as opposed to the turnover that they had last year, I think they should be able to, you know, to to get the win in Tuscaloosa and to maybe maybe not run the table in the SEC, but you know, go one loss and and do what needs to be done to to get to that SEC title game. Um. We are at 53 minutes now, so we don't want to spend way too much time digging into all of this. But let's go let's talk about who our champion is, and then we'll go Offense Player of the Year, Defense Player of the Year, and Coach of the Year. Uh, Corey, if you're ready for us, we'll have you kick us off. Give us your, yeah. your, your champion and, and the awards. One more thing before I step into my champion. You, you said that Alabama's looking for top-tier talent. They've had it the last four or five years, but their first few championships, they didn't have top-tier talent. They had a game manager, and they won. So it can be done. My thing is, is like I'm not going to bet against Nick, Nick Saban until Nick Saban proves to me that he won't make the, the SEC championship game. Um, and also, I don't think he's not made the SEC championship game since oh, it's like back-to-back years, since like 2011 or something like that. It's It's been a long time. Mm. They, they did make it last year, though, again, right? Against... The, LSU. LSU did. LSU. LSU made it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right, because the family dropped. So if they don't make it this year, next year, that would be a back-to-back times. Um, so I'm not betting against him until then. Um, my champion is Georgia. I mean, I'm sorry. I know Bama's good. I know LSU's good. Whoever comes out of that team is going to be good. The biggest question about Georgia is, is how much are they going to be tested. But that was the question last year, and they still – I think they beat LSU, what, 50-30 to 30 last year? Like, they're still going to win, win. so. Sorry. Did you want to go and do the rest of your... Yeah, sure, I can if you want to. Okay. Um, yeah. As far as Offensive Player of the Year, so since I don't have any other teams kind of moving significantly out of kind of expectations this year, I don't have any team like, oh, I think this one surprises us. I, I have Offensive Player of the Year as Carson Beck, assuming he wins the position, you know, from Georgia. Um. Defensive player of the year, I have Harold Perkins. I feel like you can game plan around, like, sometimes you can game plan around, like, a lineman or you can game plan around a defensive back, but it's kind of hard to game plan around a linebacker because you never know if he's going to be in coverage, if he's going to be spying, or if he's going to be rushing the passer. So it's a little bit harder to, to to scheme around him. And even though he's a known commodity, I think you're, like, it's going to be hard to avoid him, especially when he's in the middle of the field, you know, going everywhere. And we all saw that speed against Arkansas last year. Good night. Unbelievable. Coach of the year, I have Kirby Smart. Just because I also, again, I don't have any team kind of like surprising anybody in this this year. 
yeah, I'll, I'll I'll jump in. My champ is Georgia too. I I I don't know if they're being really challenged in, but maybe two games. So we'll see. Uh, I also kind of thought maybe he could be the coach of the year because they're not afraid to give it to the team that's he's won it the last two years and they're you know last year after winning a national championship the the year prior sometimes there's sort of voter fatigue i don't know if you see that in the sec they just recognize greatness and and continue to you know to, to reward it um but if i've got lsu beating bama two years in a row and taking the sec west two years in a row i my choice for coach of the year is brian kelly uh, offensive player of the year you could go carson back i think that's probably fair i think they'll have enough of a balanced attack where he's probably the pick. I'm going a little outside the box and saying Brock Bowers. I think they may give him a lifetime achievement one. Uh, and Georgia last year proved that they're willing to give it to him like on end of rounds. They're willing to put the ball in his hands in different ways and be creative with him. So I know it's a different offensive play caller, uh, but I still think there's probably opportunities for Brock Bowers to, especially now that they've brought in a couple of other receivers to, to take some of the attention away from him. That might be a place where he thrives. Um, and who doesn't want to throw it up to a playmaker like that, especially as a new starting quarterback, trust your playmakers and, and Brock Bowers, I think is, is one of the best defense player of the year. Uh, Y'all know my man crush on this guy. Harold Perkins is a star. Um, so I, I think he will win. Uh, and especially if they're able to do what I'm projecting them to do, they're going to need some, outstanding performances from the defense at least in, in limiting what you know what some of these other uh potentially potent offenses in bama a&m Ole miss um yeah but those are those are the ones i see as like the most dangerous as far as like offensive skill uh or offensive firepower and harold perkins is a big part in helping a defense make some stops so um, i think he'll rack up the the stats so that's, those are my choices we can copy paste Steve's for for all of mine. Uh, I also have Georgia oh, yeah. as as the champion here. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get there. Um, I I think they're a notch above whoever comes out of the West, uh, Alabama or LSU. I, I think Georgia's gonna have an elite ability to put points on the board, and I think at the top of this conference, like that's actually gonna be the thing that separates them. I I think they're gonna do that much better than Alabama can. I think they're gonna do that much better than LSU can, um, and certainly anyone on their schedule. I think they can sleepwalk through a lot of their schedule. They have a few tough games, but um, the, with the talent that they have, uh, because they are so good, it will appear as a very, very easy thing to do. Um, offensive player of the year. I'm going Brock Bowers. I, I, I really leaned on thinking, Hey, new coach or not new coach, new, new quarterback. And I, I'm going to rely on who I have, who I know can win that one-on-one -on -one over and over and over again. I had a hard time picking this one because there wasn't anybody stuck out. Like I didn't think Jaden Daniels, even if LSU does what I project them to do, like he made it to the SEC or they won the SEC West last year. And, you know, I, Hennon Hooker was a much better football player or much better offensive player last year than, um, than Daniels. So I, I, I had a hard time, but I think Bowers is one who could be fed enough. This is his last year and he's going to want to put a lot of good tape on for going pro defensively Harold Perkins but there's just nothing about his performance last year that says uh that it isn't exactly what you saw so there, there isn't anything that to me I go yeah it's a little bit fraudulent here or there, there's room for a sophomore slump I just can't see it like I think 
He reads plays very well, diagnoses what's going on. He's so, so quick. And he's as sure a tackler as you can find. He, he, he doesn't miss those opportunities once he gets to them. So I think he's going to have another phenomenal season. And we'll see if he rushes as much as he did last year. He, he started to blitz quite a bit, got him backed up a bunch of sacks. And I don't think you'd want to take him off that. But he's also been playing a lot more uh, like Mike Linebacker in the spring. I haven't seen as much in the fall yet. Um, but his even if his role switches, I think his impact will be palpable enough that he'll still win this award. And then coach of the year, I think it'll be Brian Kelly. If you can win in Tuscaloosa, that's just not something people do. Um, Tuscaloosa is unbelievably difficult place to, to win a football game. I think the, the, they'll give it to that staff. And I also expect, you know, potentially you get a win over a Florida state. You have maybe a one loss season that they didn't quite have that. They had the wins it took to get to the title game, but nobody by the end of it was going, playoff contender um they'd already been a little bit eliminated from that contention um as we haven't seen two lost teams really make it to the playoff yet so i i think they take the step into where now in the sec title game we're playing for the playoff um not for a really high bowl and a really good um ranking to, to end the season off and i think kelly wins the award um any thoughts or feedback uh on awards or, or thoughts final thoughts on the conference before we wrap up the podcast i can just give us the the uh, oh please do please CFD do sorry paint. Steve. yeah and i want to tell us the media finish. stuff too oh okay. yeah okay all right so in the east we have georgia winning and the slam dunk there it had 21 points second tennessee with 18 third oh hang on uh third we had kentucky with 14 points, South Carolina is in fifth with 12, or in fourth, excuse me, with 12. Did I say third for Kentucky, fourth for South Carolina? Apologies. Florida is in fifth with 10 points. Missouri with six points is at sixth in the East. And then Vanderbilt, uh, again, reaching the kind of sweeping the vote for the seventh position in the SEC East. Uh, on the other side of the of the conference, we have LSU edging out Alabama by one point. So 20 points for LSU, 19 for Bama in, in second. Texas A&M is in third. It's interesting because there's a five-point differential between Bama and A&M. And then a three-point differential between Ole Miss and Arkansas, who are actually tied at that fourth spot. So fourth and fifth, you know, kind of interchangeably, Ole Miss and Arkansas. Sixth is Auburn. Again, a unanimous choice. It's interesting. The... <laughs> We have unanimity across the uh, bottom two teams. The, the bottom two teams in both sides of the conference, both divisions. Uh, I, I think there's potentially Hugh, Hugh Freeze is going to make us look stupid now. Is what I just know is going to happen. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then, and then in seventh on the West, you have the Mississippi State Bulldogs. So the media says for the East: Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky. So that, those two are switched. Florida, Missouri, Vanderbilt. And then they say on the West, they have Alabama, LSU. It's a five-point difference, so it's not extremely different. Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Auburn, Mississippi State. So we kind of differ from them in that middle range on both of them, actually. Interesting. So. Gotcha. We'll see if, if we're right or if the media is right overall on the SEC. But that's going to wrap it up for our preview. We appreciate you hanging on with us. Make sure to give us a follow, a subscribe, a like. And make sure to follow us on our social media. If you want to keep track of what our thoughts are on the on the day-to-day, week-to-week, follow us on Twitter, 
I'm going to keep calling it Twitter because it's so much easier than X and sounds so much better. Follow us on Twitter. Yes. Um, you'll, you can keep up to date with us and what we're thinking also based on what other experts are, are saying, what our takes and opinions are there. Um, and we'll, we'll keep you up to date with everything that we have. Other than that, we'll catch you in the next episode. We're going to be going over our playoff predictions. So who are the contenders? What needs to go right for them to get there? And then ultimately, who do we think will be playing in the playoff and winning and taking home a national championship at the end of the season? So make sure you don't miss that. But until then, peace.